Hey everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to go ahead and subscribe to our Journey YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you all right there. Now, I hope this episode helps you take your next step in following Jesus. If you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, been a series, and I'll catch you up. Today is part four of the series we've been in called Who Needs Jesus? And it, you're going to understand today, even if you haven't heard anything about it. But if you want to catch up or this piques your curiosity, you can go to our YouTube channel. You can go to our app. All of the messages are there. There's a 12-minute version if you want to binge quickly. Or there's the live Sunday, you know, full Sunday versions if you want to watch that. Today we're going to be talking about this question right here. Who needs Jesus for justice? Who needs Jesus for justice? Now here's the thing. I'm aware that some of you would say nobody needs Jesus in order to have justice. And the reason you would say that is because this is how you believe. And there's a growing number of people who would agree with you in our country. There is a growing perspective that religion in general and Christianity in particular is the source of injustice in the world. And it's, Christianity and religion in general, it suppresses a lot of the human rights that we believe all people should have. There's a growing perspective. And you may have you know, know people who feel that way, you may not, but there are a lot of people who have begun to feel that way and to view religion and Christianity in that way. Um, and I understand partly why that would be such a big deal to people, because from the founding of our nation, human rights have been a central part of what we care about and of who we are. You remember the first few lines of the Declaration of Independence, right? You heard that in school. Uh, Jefferson and Franklin and all his buddies, you know, Livingston, Sherman, all those Adams, all those guys, as they were writing this, they started with this foundational idea. You remember, here's what Jefferson wrote. He said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men, all humans are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. You probably don't use that word very often. It just means the rights that are impossible to give up or take away. That's how central they are to humans, the rights that are impossible to give up. The rights that are impossible to take away. He goes on to name a few of them. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In other words, our founding fathers, and this has been part of American culture from that point on. Our founding fathers believed that there were certain rights every human being on the planet was entitled to. And that nobody should ever infringe on those rights. So what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to answer a couple questions related to that. I want to talk about, because most of us never thought of this, where do those rights come from? Why do we have them? But first, I need to define exactly what human rights are. There is a philosopher by the name of Nicholas Wolterstorff, at least that's how I think you say his name, um, who gave a great definition of human rights. Here's what he writes. He says, human rights are those that each and every human being has just by virtue of being a human being. So human rights are the rights that you get. You don't have to earn them. You don't have to deserve them. You don't have to prove they should come your way and you're entitled to them. It doesn't matter what race you are, what nationality you are, what socioeconomic class. He's going human rights are rights that are inherently true for all human beings who breathe. Even, he says, even if they're not able to function as persons, which was just his way of saying, even if somebody's in a coma, even if they have some incapacitating disease, even if they're dealing with Alzheimer's, even if they can't remember, it doesn't matter. Like every human being, as long as they have breath, they are entitled 
to certain human rights. And then he sums it up really well. He says, a human right is an obligation or claim that a person has on you when she enters your presence. In other words, a, a human right is something that the minute you walk in the room, I'm obligated to treat you in that way. I'm obligated to honor those rights. I'm obligated to show you that respect. And whenever someone violates a human right, we have a word for that. The word we use is injustice. We say, well, that's an injustice. That should have never happened. That was unjust. Nobody should be able to do that. So that's what a right is. But the question I want us to spend the next few minutes talking about is one that you probably haven't spent much time thinking about. Neither would I. We've got our lives. We do our thing. But the question is, where do human rights come from? You ever stop and thought about that? I mean, we all believe everybody should have them, but where do they come from? Or to ask it another way, why do people have rights? Why do people have rights? If you go to the website of the United Nations, you'll see that they have posted a big long list of all the human rights that the United Nations says every single person on the planet is entitled to and deserves to have. What's really interesting about it, though, is while they list all the rights, they do not give any explanation for why people should have those rights. So my question to you is, well, is it just obvious? I mean, is it so obvious that you're like, well, you don't even have to make a case for why people should be treated this way. It's just obvious. Everybody should be treated this way. Is it, to use the words of our founding fathers, is it self-evident? I mean, if anybody who looks at it will know it's so self-evident. Well, that is a very modern Western point of view but here's the thing, you, you know this, um, to us it's self-evident, to us it's so obvious, everybody should have this collection of rights, but there are people in non-Western countries, and I don't even have to name who they are, you know what countries they are, there are people in non-Western countries who disagree completely with us on the rights that humans ought to have. That's why we're always in debates and arguments and dissension over human rights violations in these countries. Because when they look at the world, our point of view in terms of, you know, the rights someone should have, they're not self-evident to them. What's self-evident is something that's entirely different. So how do, you, how do you explain to somebody, oh yeah, everybody on the planet ought to have these rights. How do you prove that to somebody? As Americans, listen, as Americans, we, we've tried this, but we can't actually say, well, just because because we're right, you know? Everybody ought to be treated this way because it's the superior way to look at human beings and treat human beings. You ought to do what we say. You can't do that. That makes us modern-day imperialists and colonizers who are imposing our values and viewpoint on the world. We don't want to be that. We're accusing them of being that. I mean, we don't want to turn around and be hypocrites and do the same thing. So how do you answer the question, why do people have rights? I would suggest it is impossible, it is impossible to make a case for human rights unless you anchor and tether the rights that you believe every human should have to a standard, an objective standard that is outside of you and outside of me and originates beyond you and beyond me. To put it another way, if you do not have your rights anchored to a standard outside of you and the originates from something or somewhere beyond you. If, if there's not a standard outside of us 
then there are no rights that can be equally applied to all of us. Because otherwise, I'm just anchoring all of the rights that I believe to my opinion, to your opinion, to our culture's opinion, to our nation's opinion. But how do you look at the rest of the world and say, no, this should be true for all people in all places and all times? You've got to have something more objective and foundational than that. And this is why I would suggest that it's impossible to have justice without having Jesus. Because we have to anchor our idea of justice to a source beyond ourselves, outside of ourselves, that originates beyond ourselves. We have to. When Jesus showed up on this earth, you know what he said? He said, all human beings have rights because all human beings are created in the image of God. He anchored the rights of human beings to himself. He anchored the rights of human beings to the fact that because God bestows rights on humans, those rights which come outside of us and originate beyond us, those rights are true for all people in all places and in all times. Now, for some of you, I get this. I just want to acknowledge this. For some of you, this is a slippery slope for you. You would rather try to figure out how to have justice and how to honor human rights without inviting Jesus into the scenario because from your perspective, God equates with injustice. And here's all I mean by that. You look at the world, you come to a place like this, you hear somebody like me talk about, oh, there's a loving and good God. And you're looking around the world and you're seeing all the injustice, all the pain, all the suffering, all the sorrow, all the, all the wrongs that are happening. And you're going, whoa, 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 this doesn't add up. How could a good and loving God allow all this to be taking place? How could a good and loving God not step in and intervene? How could a good and loving God allow injustices to occur like those injustices or injustices to occur like what's occurred in my life. And so because of that, you're like, I don't want to invite Jesus into it because you can't, you can't reconcile a good and loving God with all the bad that happens in the world. If he's got the power to fix it, why wouldn't he? And I understand that point of view. The thing that I think support for you to understand is that is a very modern Western perspective. I could take you to places all over the rest of the world where you will not find that perspective at all. I can take you to places where there's injustices far greater than what we experience in our country, but when you talk to the people, they will never equate the pain and sorrow they're going through with it must be God's fault. They just won't do that. As a matter of fact, the exact opposite is true for them. If I could take you all the way back to the first century and introduce you to the early followers of Jesus, oh my gosh, they would never do that. There was never a moment for them where they tried to reconcile, well, if God is a good and loving God, then only good things must happen to me in life. They never believed that. They experienced injustice in ways that none of us will ever experience. But they never for a second doubted or questioned the goodness and the love of Jesus. Why was that the case? Well, I'll give you one example. So um, John, I don't know if you're familiar with John. John was one of Jesus' very best friends. And John made sure everybody knew about it. So, so when John wrote all of his accounts of Jesus' life and everything, he described himself as the disciple Jesus loved, which was kind of his little dig, right? Like, I was really tight with him. So anyway, John, um, he wrote a letter to Christians in the first century where he digs into this a little bit. And it's fascinating because you talk about injustice. John had experienced and seen more injustice in his world than any of us will. Uh, John was imprisoned, he was beaten, he was persecuted, 
um, exiled on an island for a period of time. Uh, you would think if there was anybody that Jesus was going to take care of, anybody that Jesus was going to you know, make sure life was smooth for them, it would be his best buddy John. But he did not at all. And yet John, as he's writing, in spite of everything that he'd seen and experienced, John, as he's writing, trying to explain this, uses these words. He writes this, Dear friends, let us love one another. Now, when he's talking about love, here's the thing you have to understand. He's not thinking of love like we do. John had been sitting around the table right next to Jesus on the night of his arrest um, as Jesus was having the last supper with his disciples. And as Jesus looked at them and said, guys, I'm going to give you a brand new command to follow. You can throw all the others out. You don't need them anymore. This one will take care of everything. I want you to love one another the way I've loved you. I'm redefining what love looks like. I want you to love one another the way I've loved you. And oh, by the way, I'm, I'm about to give my life on a cross for you. So there's your example. I want you to love each other that way. When John writes, dear friends, let us love one another, this is exactly what he's thinking about. Not the normal love, natural love we all can all show. He's thinking about this type of supernatural love. He says, I want you to love one another for love comes from God. To which we might say, whoa, John, there's so much injustice in your life and in your world. How could you possibly write that? To which John would tell us, oh, no, no, no. All the injustice in the world is not a reflection of God. It's a reflection of our broken sinful nature. Or another way to say it is John made the case, God's not responsible for all the pain and suffering in this world. We are. There's, all, there's injustice in the world because we fail to live up to the standard of the love and justice of Jesus. There's injustice in the world because we fall short of the standard in terms of how we treat one another. That's why John would say there's injustice in the world. And then he goes on, he writes this. He says, everyone who loves, the way Jesus loves us, everyone who loves that way has been born of God and knows God. This is how you know if somebody's really following Jesus. You look, do they demonstrate the same kind of love Jesus shows? He goes on and says, whoever doesn't love does not know God because God is love. This is so important because John's not saying God loves. That's different. John's not saying, yeah, 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 you'll find times when God's really loving, but ah, there are other times when he's unjust and unloving. No, no. John's saying, love's not what God does. Love is who he is. The standard is Jesus. The standard is God. Let me see if I can explain it this way. Um, Let's just say that there are times in my life when I somehow manage to show extraordinary empathy to other individuals, okay? Now, I say there are times because I try really hard, but it's very in infrequent. Most of the time, my attempts at empathy, my wife looks at me and says, that just came across as sarcasm. You should quit. So I'm like, all right. So anyway, I'm not very good at that. Some of you are amazing at it. But every now and then I do it. Every now and then I get it right, but you do not want the standard of empathy to which all people are entitled to experience. You don't want that to be based on me and my empathy, do you? Now, it, would, it would not be fun at all for anybody. This is John's point. The standard for justice, the standard for why all humans are entitled to rights, the standard is not something God does every now and then. The standard is God. It's who he is. He is love. Or if I could simplify, the standard for justice is the love and the justice of Jesus. 
This is why the founding fathers, and they were not all religious, but this is why the founding fathers, if you remember in the Declaration, they didn't say that, that these rights are self-evident because well, everybody just ought to see them. They said these rights are self-evident because we are endowed by our creator. They took the rights that they were fighting to establish in our country and they anchored and tethered them to our heavenly father, to the fact that we are created in the image of God. They took those rights and they said they don't come from us. They originate outside of us. They're an objective standard that comes from beyond us. It comes from God. The love and justice that Jesus demonstrated when he was on this earth, that's the standard. That's why people are entitled to the rights they're entitled to. Because God has endowed those rights upon us. So, if you want to kick Jesus out of the conversation, if you want to kick him out of the room, you can. And you can try to figure out how to fight for rights and for justice without an objective standard outside of yourself that, you know, doesn't originate outside of you. You can try that. But I'll tell you what happens when you do that. You're left with my justice and your justice. In other words, you remove the objective standards. You, you break the connection between human rights and being created in the image of God. You remove the standard of the love and justice of Jesus. And what you're left with is, I have my justice based on my opinion of what's just. And you have your justice based on your opinion of what's just. But I don't have the moral authority to tell you you're wrong. And you don't have the moral authority to tell me I'm wrong. Because it's just based on opinion. It's just based on opinion. And everybody's entitled to an opinion. We actually don't want to live in a world like that, do we? But to make it even worse, if we do that, we're also going to be living in a world with Putin justice and ISIS justice and Klan, Rich Street, and majority justice because we can't tell anybody that what they're doing is wrong. So, here's the question. If Jesus exists, does he have a solution to injustice? Let's just assume for a minute that all this I've been saying is true. Well, the answer is yes, he does have a solution to justice. The bad news is you're not going to like it. I don't like it either. Um, it's going to be a bit troubling and uncomfortable, his solution. But can I just remind you, just because something is unsettling or uncomfortable does not make it untrue. Do you remember this summer when you went uh, down to Florida or wherever you went to a beach vacation and you were sitting there enjoying yourself and then suddenly a... Um, um, large gentleman walked by in a Speedo. It was very unsettling, but it was true, right? <laughs> unsettling does not make it untrue. I wish it did. It does not. Some of you guys, your 16-year-old daughters has a boyfriend. It's very uncomfortable. It's still true, all right? So point, point being, just because you get uncomfortable about something doesn't mean you should throw it out. Well, here's Jesus' solution. You ready? The same Jesus who taught us God is love also taught us God will bring justice. And here's the part that's so unsettling. There is no justice without judgment. There's not. It's impossible to have justice without judgment. The thing is, um, and this is why the message of Jesus is so personal and why it's so powerful. When Jesus showed up in the first century, he said, okay, everybody... Everybody deserves judgment because everyone has been unjust. Everyone has fallen short 
of my standard of love and justice in terms of how we're to treat one another. Everybody deserves judgment. But I'm not here to bring judgment yet. In his own words, Jesus said, for I did not come to judge the world. I came to save the world. Jesus said, I I didn't show up here to judge. It's not my role right now. I'm here as Savior. I'm here as Savior. Yeah, the world needs judging. There's plenty of injustice in the world. And Jesus said, that's that's for a future day. One day, everything, you know, we're going to bring justice. One day, I'm going to judge the whole world, and everything's going to be put right. One day, all those wrongs are going to be addressed. One day, all that stuff that you're like, man, somebody should have to pay for that. Okay, well, one day, all of that's going to take place. But Jesus says, that's a future day. I'm being patient right now. I'm giving all of you unjust people who've introduced so much injustice into the world, I'm giving you every opportunity you can to make things right. I'm showing up and I'm taking the judgment that you deserve to have to take. That's what the death and resurrection of Jesus was all about. He was taking all of our judgment on himself, on his shoulders. He said, I'm paying for it. So that because I took your judgment, you can be forgiven. Because I took your judgment, your record can be wiped clean. Because I took your judgment, your relationship with God can be restored. You can be a part of his family. I'll meet the standard you can't meet and do what you can't do for yourself. This was Jesus' point. I'm coming as Savior. One day I'm going to have to come as judge, but I'm going to wait to do that because I want to give you every chance to experience my forgiveness. So who needs Jesus to have justice? I think we all do because we all have to anchor our idea of justice and rights to an objective standard outside of ourselves. But you know what that means? That means we also all have to acknowledge we have brought injustice into the world because we've all been unjust in how we've treated people at times. What do you do with that? We can only do one of two things. You can either bow up and become proud and stubborn and say, you know what? I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I don't want to invite Jesus into this situation. And you can do that, but one day you're going to face the judgment for all the injustice you have done. Or you can take Jesus up on his offer. You can accept the gift that he's made possible to us freely by his grace. You can say, man, I've, I've... contributed my fair share to the injustice in the world so jesus i'm i'm going to accept your forgiveness i'm going to let you take that judgment for me i'm going to acknowledge i need you as savior so i don't have to face you as judge we all want justice but there is no justice without judgment fortunately (laughs) We have a Savior who wants to extend love and grace far more than he wants to extend judgment. And he gives us the opportunity to accept it today. Let me pray for us. Father, would you you help us to have enough humility to accept it? Because in our pride, sometimes we don't want to. Help us to own our part. Thank you. Um, Thank you for endowing us with certain unalienable rights because we're created in your image. 
Thank you, Jesus, for setting the standard for love and justice that while none of us can meet, we all want. We all want to live in a world that lives by it. And thanks for dying and rising again for us to make up for when we miss it. Help us to be people who demonstrate the same love and justice to the people around us that you are demonstrating towards us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. For more information on our church or to find our app or our YouTube channel, just visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.